Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, we chat with J.R. Todd and championship crew chief Dean Antonelli. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We'll be talking funny cars from the driver's seat perspective as well as that of a championship crew chief. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line, stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pedragon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Loans back here again with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. And yes, both of our guests today come from the Nitro Funny Car category. Going to catch up with J.R. Todd and talk about how his very early testing went with the new GR Supra Toyota body. Very interested to hear his perspective on that and everything that went down on what was a extremely early test for a Nitro Funny Car. In fact, he was basically the first guy in the nation to be behind the wheel of a funny car. And I'm interested in the perspective of what that test was trying to accomplish, what they learned and what they did accomplish, and uh, that should be pretty cool. Also going to talk to Dean Antonelli, championship crew chief, along with John Medlin for Ron Caps Motorsports, formerly of Don Schumacher Racing. Interested to get uh, Guido's perspective on what 2022 will look like and how it's going to be kind of uh, incumbent on him and John Medlin to get their car out of the gate swinging for what promises to be another just burn down of a nitro funny car season we all know how it went in 2021 with all those multitude of championship contenders kind of trading the points lead back and forth all the way down to the very last second well technically second to last second in the semifinal round of the nhra finals we're about a week away from the nhra preseason phoenix test which will be certainly a nice way for us to look at who's going to come out of the gate with some confidence and who's going to come into pomona trying to still figure out their combination with the amount of movement we've had in crew chiefs the amount of movement we've had in crew members um it should be very interesting that's one of the x factors i want to talk to both uh jr todd and guido about which is this kind of uh, crew guy X-Factor situation. And it continues to be a big story, and it's going to really become a bigger story once we get into competition and teams are vying to get every single point they can on every single Sunday of the NHRA Camping World drag racing season. Of course, the biggest news of last week leading into this week was the announcement that Austin Proc will be back full-time. It was something that we openly talked about as a rumor. It was something that openly was a rumor for many weeks, even a couple of months, I guess we'd say. And then the ensuing announcement that Joe Barlam will be the crew chief working with Ron Tobler. Tobler will be uh, co-crew chief, assistant crew chief. I'm not sure what the you know effective title is, but basically the two halves of that job. Joe Barlam will be the guy who is with the car constantly, including when it is in the shop. And Ron Tobler will be flying into the races, working with the car during the weekends, and then you know obviously maintaining communication during the week. But he will not be spending his time in Brownsburg, Indiana. He relocated with his wife, Ellen, a couple of years ago out to Huntington Beach, California, and he certainly does not want to go back from there. It's something that they'd been wanting to do for a very long time, and they did, but uh, it is great to have Tolber back in the fold and certainly great to have Joe Barlam back in a crew chief role. I think Joe is one of the, I'm not going to say he's underrated because everybody knows how good he is, but he is not a, you know, flash and dash guy. He's not a guy out there beating his own drum. So um, we're going to watch Joe and Ron Tobler work together very well, along with a crew that is comprised of mainly guys that were working on that car during the 2019 season, the last time it was out. And then 
uh, Austin's brother is also going to be working on the car as well. So it is a, a family affair in more ways than one for that uh, Montana brand's Rocky Mountain Twist Top Fuel Dragster, which I believe will also be wearing the flavor pack colors from time to time over the course of the season. Earlier in the week before the Austin Proc announcement, Brittany Force announced that she had signed a multi-year extension with both Flavor Pack and uh, Monster Energy Drink, which is fantastic. Of course, I think the Monster brand is one of the great brands uh, we have represented in the sport of NHRA drag racing, and she has done, along with her crew and crew chief David Grubnick, a spectacular job in representing them in terms of performance. They're just looking to turn that into some Sunday wind lights. Before we get into what will be two funny car-centric conversations, uh, with this Austin Proc announcement, I think it's important to look at what the top fuel category will be comprised of in 2022. And I think in terms of raw driving talent, I think uh, top to bottom, it is impossible. Uh, and you may well want to, and that's fine. You can you can hit me up at bloans at NHRA.com if you want to refute any of these claims. But the, the reality is uh, of pure driving talent, we have not seen anything like this in the category in at least a decade, maybe two, maybe more than that. Uh, there have always been premier drivers in Top Fuel Eliminator. No matter what area you go to, you will find people that stood out from the crowd of their ability, whether it was their decision-making ability, their reaction time ability, their ability to handle a car that maybe uh, was not trying to behave itself over the course of a race weekend. We all know who those names are. We know who the great ones are. We know the the Kenny Bernsteins. We know the Joe Amatos. We know the we know the Gary Ormsby's of the world from back in the day. Uh, we look at the Corey McLenathans of the world. We look at all those racers, Doug Coletta, of course, which is around, and, and that's really part of the point here. Over the course of time, when we look at Top Fuel, you see three or four names that stand out among the best or among the rest, if you will, of the particular time frame they raced in or particular seasons or just on singular achievement alone. If we consider what is coming in 2022 with the return of Tony Schumacher, with Doug Coletta, that is supposedly going to be re-energized with some new tuning assistance, which, again, has not been officially announced. Uh, we're expecting to hear about that in the next couple of weeks, but we've heard nothing official yet. Austin Brock, Sean Langdon, Justin Ashley, Josh Hart. Uh, of course, Brittany's car and raw performance, and Brittany is, has been, in my understanding, has been really dedicating herself to tightening up the starting line some. If that car finds a couple of hundreds at the starting line, they have plenty of raw performance. We see a Mike Salinas that was rejuvenated, reinvigorated, and reinvented himself at the end of the year, uh, who went from being one of the, as we know, one of the levers that was struggling in the category to one of the average premier levers. If we average out reaction times in the countdown, he was almost to the top of the shelf. So, um, this is almost unprecedented in terms of what you're going to see for raw driver talent. Um, you know, Sean Langdon's car struggled mechanically and struggled with the tune-up, but he did not struggle as a lever, as a reactor, or as a driver. When we talk about where that car ended up in the points, you really can't put any of the onus of that on Langdon's shoulders because of the fact, one, he had the best average reaction time in the category, and two, he won a stretch of about nine races last year where not a single opponent left on him. He didn't win many rounds, but not many people ever, if at all, left on him over the course of a couple of month period. So, you know, we take some of these guys, and, and I obviously need to mention Steve Torrance, a four-time champion returning again, and Steve's a guy who is just rock-solid, steady, and does not make the types of mistakes that some other drivers may make, some of the younger drivers may make. Um, 
it's a it's a mind-boggling thing to think about looking at about a dozen maybe 13 full-time top fuel cars we're looking at at least that many probably almost twice as many from there that will be running partial schedules and you know 40 different names appeared last year in top fuel some of those names appeared driving the same car meaning you know some of the terry haddock's car was driven by a couple of different drivers over the course of that season so you know, as a small example, but 40 different people raced in top fuel over the course of the uh, 2021 year. And I would expect that many people and maybe an additional name or two to sneak on that list as we know that Buddy Hull has purchased Tim Wilkerson's top fuel operation. So Buddy will be on his own. There will be some new names and faces likely in Terry Haddock's top fuel car, which is a great way to see new people enter the sport. He provides an opportunity for young drivers, aspiring drivers, even older drivers People who want to drive a top fuel car, he provides a, a great service for people to get in and get their feet wet. And when we look at it from an overall sport perspective, the Buddy Hall story is the perfect example of why that's valuable. If Buddy Hall had not had the opportunity to go race with Terry Haddock and in Terry Haddock's top fuel car, he likely, one would assume, would not have been so gung-ho or so prepared to make the next step in buying Tim Wilkerson's top fuel operation. And, of course, I would assume Buddy Hall has wanted to do that for a long time, meaning to have his own equipment and to go racing top fuel on his own. But he got to see firsthand what the experience is and how, you know, the mechanics of a teamwork and all that other stuff when he was racing with Terry Haddock. Did the round win come? Did the round wins come with regularity or, or frequency? No. But when you're trying to get going in this sport, especially a guy who's going to do it on his own, that's one of the things that needs to be taken into consideration. And in the back of your mind, I think you have to be realistic with what you're trying to do. Anybody who comes into Top Fuel for 2022, and I hope there are more new names coming that are maybe run partial schedules or whatever, needs to have realistic expectations about what they're walking into here and what they're up against. And what they're going to be up against is, top to bottom, the most stout group of full-time cars we've had in decades and you may say well well, they had like 20 full-time cars back in the day they actually didn't that's one of the things that's a misnomer but one of the things to think about is of those cars back in the day when we look at qualified fields and how far the fields are spread out you look at reaction times in those races and you know especially back in the 90s before things really started to heat up and get tight in terms of a driver talent race um, you didn't have to be that good on the starting line and, you know, the, the, the haves and the have-nots back then were way more spread out in terms of what parts they were using, where they were getting the parts, the engineering of the parts. You know, today we have a great uh, baseline or equilibrium, if you will, of parts availability to these teams. So it doesn't matter if you're going to run a full season or a half season. You're going to be showing up with equivalent parts that everybody else has. You're not running cylinder heads that are 10 years old or or way out of date. You're not showing up in a car that is incapable of running competitive elapsed times to qualify. So, um, and I'm not discounting funny car either. I'm going to, you know, the funny car class breakdown, I think is, is in some ways more intriguing. We haven't seen a lot of the same moves we've seen in top fuel in terms of people saying, Hey, I'm going to go full time this year instead of part time. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen kind of new faces entering the class or returning, but doesn't mean we won't. We won't. Um, there are motivated operations out there that are working feverishly. I can tell you this from personal experience to both ad races and in some cases, add cars for the the 
2022 campaign. Maybe not full-time cars, but there are people out there working very hard to add their name to the roles, if you will, for a funny car. Uh, the math says at this point, I'm watching the entry list fill up for the Winter Nationals, and the math says that we should have bump spots in every professional category. And again, Pro Stock Motorcycle won't be at the Winters because they always start in Gainesville, so they won't. We won't see them in, in Pomona or Phoenix. We will see them, of course, when we get to Gainesville, Florida. But the math says that we should have bump spots in Top Fuel, Nitro, Funny Car, and Pro Stock. And that would be the first time since 2016 we have had all three fields filled up to, you know, what is technically an overflow capacity. Over the course of the year, we're going to see car counts we might not have seen in many, many years. Um, the U.S. Nationals, Gainesville, uh, the, the races in the center of the country, the St. Louis's of the world, that area, the Topeka's of the world, the areas that are geographically less challenging or financially more viable to reach from Indiana or from the other Midwestern-based cars that we have, um, those races are promising to be absolute monsters. And it is going to be pretty impressive, I believe, to see who shows up and how many of these cars show up to places like Gainesville and the U.S. Nationals and, uh, you know, several other of our of our stops over the course of the year. So, you know, yes, I'm leading uh, with a heavy discussion here on Top Fuel, but uh, it is fascinating. It's something that has so many of us, you know, behind the scenes kind of buzzing. A um, little, you know, a little inside baseball. Last week we had our our NHRA on Fox preseason call, our, our preseason meeting, um, which was great to see everybody, not only from our own team but from our our partners at uh, at Fox and FS1. Had uh, great conversations, have a great game plan, um, and uh, I think you're going to be impressed with what you see this year. I think we have some some stuff up our sleeve in terms of um, some maybe enhanced production value stuff that's coming that you're going to enjoy as well. So I'm giving none of that away. Uh, much as I don't give away anybody's, uh, you know, pending sponsorship deals or anything else because of the fact that uh, I want you to be surprised and enjoy it. I want that noise to be or that news rather to be broken in the uh, in the way that it should to get out to the most mass audience. But anyway, uh, things are looking up around here <laughs> in in really every shape, form and fashion you can you can imagine. And in the funny car category, you know, one of the stories, of course, is the debut coming publicly in Pomona of the Toyota GR Supra. We saw the car at the finals. It was towed up to return road. I got to spend some time with with J.R. Todd and Alexis and the folks from uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing talking about it. We did a segment on the final show about the car. And, you know, when it debuted, it kind of broke the internet, which was awesome. Uh, it has more kind of production design elements in it than, than anybody we've seen in a long time. And it's going to be really fun to see how it performs. J.R. Todd already has a, an idea on how it performs because he tested with the car down in Florida just a couple of weeks back, and that's why we're going to lead off our discussions today with the man who drives what used to be the DHL Toyota Camry and now drives the Toyota GR Supra. J.R. Todd, how you doing, man? Good, Brian. Uh, getting excited, man. It's almost time to get going again. So have you like sat in front of the mirror and like reprogrammed your brain to stop saying Camry and start saying Supra? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've definitely had to retrain myself on uh, what to say and what not to say. But uh, but no, GR Supra, it's, uh, it's coming to me pretty quick. So I want to talk about this because to me, it, it has to be kind of a different situation, right? Like during, during the season, when you go to test, even when we go to Phoenix, before we go to Pomona, I have to, I'm trying to understand the differences between what that kind of testing is like versus what you did to start with. Because 
it seems like you're working on getting a baseline, right, with a brand new body? Yeah, for sure. When we were uh, down here testing two weeks ago, we definitely were not performance testing by any means. But uh, I will say, I mean, the runs we made were awfully consistent. But, but more than anything, we were just trying to prove out the new uh, Toyota GR Super before we went to Phoenix. And in case we had any issues and, you know, we're stuck out west and not in a panic, you know. So it was a, a good productive test there. We ran, you know, pretty much all week long. And you know, uh, the new body for me is night and day different from uh, what we ran with uh, the Toyota Camry. And uh, I'm really excited just because I can see so much more of the racetrack that uh, now I can't pretty much bitch and moan like I, I did in the past <laughs> about not being able to keep it in the groove. Well, it's interesting. And, and I have to imagine, you know, the, the, the engineering staff there from uh, from Toyota Gazoo Racing, which is another change for us now. Instead of talking about TRD, we're going to be talking about Toyota Gazoo Racing. Um you know, I'm sure that they all had different concentrations. I remember when the, you know, when the four bodies came out a few years ago, they had to make some some changes to the physical structure of the thing because once they saw it go down the racetrack, they were like, oh, we didn't expect this or that to be happening. So I guess how many different kind of departments or people were there to, to keep an eye on different aspects of this thing? Oh, man, there were all kinds of people there. It was, a you know, a closed session. We were the only nitro car there running uh there was a handful of engineers from, uh, you know, Toyota, TRD, you know, Gazoo Racing. Uh, there was a, a gentleman from Roush, you know, who produced the body. Just different, different things that, uh, you know, you don't even realize goes into uh, making a new funny car body work until you're around one. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, the the CAD models and then the wind tunnel testing and all that. That tells you, you know, a lot from the outside. But once you get the thing on the car and it's shaking. And going down the track, you know, 20 plus miles an hour, a lot of things happen. So that's uh, that's why all those guys were there, learning what's going on with the body and uh, what basically what we needed to uh, you know do and not do with it. Outside of when you guys would test in Indianapolis, I have to imagine this was the most convenient test session of your life because you like basically live right down there, right? <laughs> yeah, it's nice, you know, moving down here uh, last summer and, and being able to uh, test here for a week and go home and sleep in your own bed every night. That uh, that was definitely nice. But I'm bummed to hear, you know, that the track possibly might be going away because I really enjoy going out there and, uh, and running. But if we're the, the last ever Nitro car to run down PBR, I guess that's somewhat of a cool stat. It is. That is kind of a neat thing to have, uh, you know, as a feather in your cap. Uh, I know you've been paying close attention to, to stuff outside of drag racing in the off season. What did you think of the craziness of the Chili Bowl this year? <laughs> I love Chili Bowl, and I was kind of bummed I didn't get to go, but uh, I had a good excuse because, well, once again, we were down here running. But, uh, yeah, I was tuned in every night, whether it was on my phone or once I got back home and you know watched on my TV. And uh, everybody knows I'm a huge dirt track fan, especially when it comes to uh, dirt midgets and got to watch you know, my buddies uh, Rico and, and Kyle them and let them do battle out there and uh it turned out to be a hell of a race again it was cool to me that there's a storylines that developed over the course of that event and you know the, the big deal being made about the video screen which is something that obviously like guys that are super good smart racers would use that screen and they're going to move it what was your take on that whole thing because it's something that as a casual fan i would have never thought of but this the placement of that particular video screen which you know last year uh was used to effectively win the race Oh, for sure. I mean, that thing's been in use for a, a long time. I remember when Kevin Swindell was dominating the Chili Bowl, he always talked about, you know, looking up at the big screen, which is right at the end of, uh, you know, the front straightaway going into turn one. And I feel like too many of those guys start, you know, 
letting their secret out. That's what they're doing to where, you know, more and more people are doing it now. It kind of, uh, you know, it's like a rear view mirror form <laughs> out there at dirt track racing. So now I heard they're going to move it into, uh, turn two, which is going to make it a little more difficult for those guys to use. But I still wouldn't, you know, put it past guys like Larson and them who seem to be out there driving in slow motion to, uh, still use it to their advantage. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I mean, no matter where they put it, it's gonna take it's gonna take somebody about two days to figure out how to base uh, kind of best use it to their advantage. Um, you know, back onto the you know back into the world of drag racing here. I just always like getting your take on what's going on with the with this, the short track and certainly their dirt track stuff because I know how much you follow it. But um, you guys finished seventh in the points last year, which is you know it's a worse sounding number to me than it actually is when we look at how tight that whole thing was down the stretch. Seventh is not where you guys plan to be or want to be. Um, what can you take away from your season last year in terms of where you guys were really good, where you need to maintain being good, and where you need to make some strides forward? What are the What are those two areas that stick out most to you? Uh, I feel like we just need to work on our consistency a lot more. I mean, there right before the countdown, I feel like we uh, we were clicking really well going to uh, you know some late rounds and final rounds there in uh, Pomona and uh, Topeka. And just, I don't know, we were really hit and miss in the countdown. But, I mean, even after Bristol, I feel like we still had a shot at the championship and then just really uh, <laughs> got picked off there first round, you know, in Vegas. Yeah. Which, I mean, we spun the tires anyway, and we weren't going to beat, you know, Paul Lee with uh, what he did. And then Pomona just, uh, that was kind of the, the nail in the coffin, losing first round there. But, but yeah, looking it's weird you know the last couple seasons we uh haven't even finished in the top five but you throw out points and a half at pomona i think like exactly. that changes everybody's you know point standings where they where they finish which i'm not saying i'm against the points and a half it just it yeah. doesn't really re- reflect how your season went unless you won the championship basically no that's a great point and that was something i was going to say as well and, and if, if you adjust that you know you look at that points and a half and you set it back to what regular points would have been it does make it a much different looking picture um you know, so many teams this year have had, especially those teams that are based in, in Brownsburg, have had, you know, crew guys being tugged back and forth across the street. There were some guys that committed to teams, and then all of a sudden other teams came back and they bailed out on the people they were committed to. I mean, there's a whole lot of craziness going on there. How much of that has has been, have you guys been away from because of being up in, in, in Michigan? It would seem as though, well, nobody's totally insulated from it. It would seem like you guys can be more stable than an environment where everybody's effectively working across the street from each other. Yeah, for sure. In years past, I'd say that's definitely the case. I mean, we barely have any turnover there in Ypsilanti, especially on uh, on our car. But uh, at the end of last season, you know, towards uh, towards the last two or three races left in the countdown, you know, Jono and Todd always sit down with the guys and ask him, you know, what their plans are and if they plan on coming back. And we knew that we were losing two guys at the end of the year. So that was kind of a bummer. And then, you know, over the offseason, we lost uh, another guy to uh, to the uh, the madness down there in Brownsburg. So basically we had to get, you know, three new guys and put, you know, two of our experienced guys in new positions. So it's kind of like having a brand-new team, which yeah. it, it really worked out being able to test down here two weeks ago because it gave them great practice. I mean, one of them is a, a, a ex-heavy equipment, you know, operator and never even been around a, a drag car before. So he was uh, completely green, didn't know, uh, didn't know what to expect, and you know, we put him right to the fire. And uh, I, I'd say they did a hell of a job because we tried to, you know, simulate, you know, qualifying yeah. race day situations, and that's the only way uh, you're going to learn. I mean, you can 
practice bolting the head on at the shop and taking it off as quick as you want, but though you're at the track and under the gun, it's a, it's a different story. So I'm glad we were able to uh, get them some practice before we go to Phoenix, and now we can go out there at uh, the Phoenix and really test the performance of that new Toyota GR Supra and uh, hopefully come out swinging and be ready for Pomona. Yeah, you know, I think as, as, as many storylines as we have to start the season off in Pomona, one of those kind of hidden storylines is going to be what you just talked about because I don't know if there's a single team that came out totally unscathed. You know what I mean? Like whether it's whether it's got a, new, a brand new guy like you're talking about or it's just new people kind of gelling and trying to work together. I do think the first three or four races of the year are going to define kind of who these new teams are in terms of just people working together. And also, I think it's uh, it's going to come down to a lot on the crew chiefs, right? Because ultimately, they, they play almost a head coaching role here. So that's that's another thing that's going to be fun to watch this year, at least from where I'm sitting. Maybe not from where you're sitting, but definitely from where I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, outside of car, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm excited for uh, all the change that's uh, happening in our sport with all the teams being shuffled around and, and personnel being shuffled around. It's going to make it exciting for sure. And back to our team, I mean, we have a uh, – a great team leader with uh, with Chris Fortin, our car chief. I mean, the the guys love and respect him, and he makes everything's uh, in line and ready to go. Then it takes a lot of the uh, burden and worry away from uh, Todd Smith and Jono, where they can just focus on uh, you know the, the right tune up calls and just you know they really rely on Chris to make sure everything's perfect with the the race car. And I I, uh, I never have a doubt in uh, any of those guys, and it really makes my job a lot of, a lot easier driving. You know, you're one of the few guys that that can fully kind of understand Austin Proc's situation, uh, his return to the sport. But you can understand the racing, and then all of a sudden, holy crap! I want to stay involved here, so I'm going to do what I got to do, and, and you know, wrenching on cars because that's what you did. You went you went back into the into the crew life at that point before you got back into the seat. So you can probably have a unique appreciation for what he's feeling right now, knowing that he's coming back for a full year in Top Fuel. Yeah, absolutely. He. Uh He's lucky though. He only had to wait uh, a year or so. I feel like I had to wait eternity to finally get a, another crack at it. But no, I, I'm happy for Austin, and the sport needs him and that team back out there. You know, top fuel, top to bottom. It's gonna be a, just to finish in the top ten, I think it's going to be a chore this year. And I'm uh, I'm excited to watch, but I'm not inside that uh, that DHL uh, GR Super. That's for sure. Absolutely. So I guess just one last uh, parting question before I let you go. When you you look out onto 2022, we're going back to places like Phoenix. We're going back to places like Seattle, Virginia. Um, You know, to me, it feels as normal as it can feel at this point. And I know I'm just excited to look at a schedule and kind of see the right places at the right times. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's nice to be going Phoenix testing, Pomona Winter Nationals, the real Winter Nationals, and just uh, get back in the swing of things. I mean, I, I hated getting messages from fans. I mean, I shouldn't say I hated getting messages from fans, but you don't like seeing no. fans say, hey, uh, we missed you in Seattle or Virginia or Phoenix. You know, it's it's awesome you going back there because we have a, a great fan base within the NHRA. And, I mean, outside of those, those tracks, I just like, you know, going to those areas, you know, downtown Seattle, uh, you know, Phoenix is a, a nice city, just different parts of the country that uh, a lot of people don't get to experience. And I hate that we uh, didn't get to race at those places uh, last year. And, you know, Virginia, I mean, I've had success there in the past and uh, I love going to that track. It's definitely one of the, the best surfaces that uh, that we compete on all year long. And uh, 
I don't want to see any race go away from uh, from the tour. I mean, if it were me, we'd race pretty much uh, every week of the year. So I'm, I'm glad this off season's gone by pretty pretty fast. And uh, before you know it, we'll be uh, burning nitro here soon. That's a fact. Between those new cities and the fact that the U.S. Nationals will once again end on Monday this year the way that God intended it, life uh, life is looking pretty good for all of us, man. Hey, thanks for the insight on the, the testing that you did with the GR Supra. I know that uh, myself, everybody is super excited to see that thing on the racetrack. The response it got when it got unveiled at Pomona, I think it blew me away. I was expecting people to be excited about it, but I, it went it went freaking crazy, man. It was cool to see it kind of transcend drag racing, too. It really went all across the motorsports media. Yeah, that's uh, that's what's got me pumped up. You know, it seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of buzz, a lot of chatter about it. I think it's uh, it's great for NHRA drag racing, and uh, I think it's going to you know kind of change the game in, in Funny Car. I hope, anyways, to where you know you might see different uh, body style changes within you know two to three years, hopefully, instead of you know where it's been five to ten years. It just uh, keeps it exciting and keeps the fans engaged with our class, and that's uh, that's what we need. That's it. He's J.R. Todd. He will be testing in Phoenix, Arizona, and basically one week from today, and he will be drag racing at the Winter Nationals the week following that. And the week following that will be in Phoenix. Back to back to back to get the season started, man. We're going to hit the ground running like a new crew guy. Thanks for taking your time today, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian. I appreciate it. All right, so it's time for our second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, making his first ever appearance, World Championship Defending Funny Car Crew Chief, Guido. Dean Antonelli, how you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, you know, we're uh, it's actually our teams that's a championship for the first time, so it's not me or Medlin or Ron. It's the group. It's uh, this team is a total team effort. It absolutely is, and you guys exemplified that really over the course of uh, of a very exciting funny car season in 2021. As exciting as it was for us, I think it was probably a lot of Maylock drinking for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I, I think I have stock in, uh, I think it's Pepsi. <laughs> You know, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is is you come off a season like that, and, and obviously you've had some time to reflect on it. So when you look at the effort from 21, what are the things you want to continue doing? And when you look at that effort, what are the things you feel like you guys need to improve on for 22? Um, so we're kind of a little bit different. Uh, we're, we're kind of, act, I would say, conservative on our approach. Um, I kind of take the mindset that, if you smoke the tires, you have next to no chance to win. And so you could like look back the last couple of years, we lose a lot of races by two feet, you know? And so maybe I need to get more aggressive um, and, you know, push a little harder and win more of those close races. <clears throat> it probably will be one of the biggest things I push, but then I have like flashbacks of Houston last year. We're running Robert in the finals and we had the field pretty much covered all day. Yeah. And then I, we get, I push a little bit cause I know it's Robert and Jimmy Fox and we smoke tires and like I said, you had no chance. Yeah. So it's, I it's, go back and forth. It is a tightrope that you guys walk, uh, that you guys walk on every single lap down the racetrack. And that's what makes it really so fascinating. And certainly to me, it's what made it so fascinating. The fact that it came down the way it did last year with, with, you know, basically what, five or six guys mathematically eligible, maybe up to eight guys mathematically eligible to the finals. And, you know, I don't necessarily see that changing, right? No, I mean, NHRA, you know, the crew chiefs, we all hate that they have our hands cuffed on so many development toys, but 
Um, they've done a great job on equalizing the field. I mean, there are 10 or 11 cars that can win any event and funny car. That's pretty insane. Oh, it is. It's absolutely insane. And, and that goes for a multitude of different conditions, too. It's not like there are three or four cars that are really good in the hot race tracks and there are three or four cars that are good when we get to cold weather. It really goes across even the, you know, even the seasons, which makes it even more exciting for a, from a fan perspective. Right. No, you're, you exactly nailed it. And I think you, you'd probably be more on top of this than I am, but when they did the, the reset after the regular season points, I believe that first six cars or seven cars tightened up for the first time in history. Yes. It was, it was like the exact opposite of what anybody would have expected. And it's almost like, it's almost like I want a clause in the countdown that if we have X amount of cars that are this close together and then the countdown gets thrown out the window, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like it's like yeah. if we get to a certain point in the season and nobody's got a runaway, then like, then let's just take the gloves off and see how this whole thing plays out. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, um, I, it's exciting, I guess for the fans, but for the crew chiefs, that's not exciting. <laughs> so it's painful. You know, one of the things that uh, we've been talking to everybody about is preparation. And obviously we're, um, we're basically, you guys are going to be loading up trucks and, and rolling out early next week to Phoenix for the preseason test. And so how has that preparation gone for you this off season? Um, and what differences or what kind of stumbles have you guys had because of the fact that maybe supply chain stuff or anything on that front? So for us, you know, um, the transition of Ron Caps uh, creating his own team and then um, separation from him working for Don Schumacher Racing to creating Ron Caps Motorsports has a, it was kind of a delayed start for the offseason for us because gotcha. trying to get all that balanced. Um, but the, a lot of the parts, because... John Medlin and I are involved in the DSM machine shop, so uh, kind of saw some material shortages. So the stuff I knew was going to be iffy, we went ahead and put on order and figured we'd work out the logistics later. So we're right at this point, we're not too bad for you know components and parts. There are some teams that are still waiting on some stuff. Uh, we're just kind of a little bit thrashing because we can order a lot of ma- other materials to later, so we're kind of behind everybody. So. Is this a situation, and, and this is just a question I had I was thinking about earlier today, is this a situation regarding the supply chain stuff that could rear its head more halfway or later in the season than it would necessarily at this time of the year? I mean, is it, you know, is this a situation where guys could use up a bunch of stuff and suddenly be in a bind? I actually think um, we haven't even seen the surface of it. I think we're going to see mid-season, you're going to see major issues with uh manufacturer being able to provide materials to make the parts so i think it's actually going to get considerably worse and that's so a cra- planning planning's huge yeah i mean the, the planning's huge and obviously the execution of the stuff is huge too because if you're uh, if you know you're going to be limited on what you can get you need to certainly make the best use of the stuff you do have yeah yeah we um we're pretty kind of thrifty over here on this car whether it was don schumacher racing or um, Ron Caps Motorsports. All of our guys are kind of uh, tenured, you know, been out here for a long time and fairly gifted. So we do a lot of repair on stuff. So we maybe get a little bit more life than some of the teams, but that probably will help us in this situation. 
from your perspective, you know, how happy are you to be going back to places like Phoenix, to be going back to places like Seattle, to be going back to places like Virginia, and also going to our normal spots in theory at the right time? How much does that make your life either better or more or more complicated? Um, I, I think it actually going back to those markets. Our fans got to be hungry, missing us one or two seasons, you know. So I think we're going to see some great attendance there, and I like. I like Richmond area. It's a fun place to go. And Seattle's a beautiful place to go. And the fans are always super there. Uh, I can't wait. I hear hopefully uh, Chicago's going to be on the schedule for 2023. I think that's a huge market that needs us back. So pretty excited about it. Yeah. And that would be an incredible kind of uh, re-addition to the schedule. It's as many, you know, as many racers as we have coming back in, it'd be great to get a racetrack. <laughs> it'd be great to get a racetrack back on the schedule yes. as well. Um, and yes. the other, you know, we have this, the shootout. I want to talk about that too. We have this, you know, this call out shootout that's going to be happening for the funny cars at, uh, at Indy. And you guys are going to be garnering points in qualifying throughout the year up until Brainerd to, to make that eight car field. Um, I guess you, you can't really change the way you operate to use that as a goal, right? You just have to kind of do what you do and then let things fall where they may, or does that live in your head a little bit? Well, uh, you know, honestly, I think with the, the format change with call out, um, I don't think position is going to matter as much because you're not, if you qualify one or two, you're not going to get the lesser car, which isn't much difference anyways. So, um, I like to maybe, uh, on Saturday runs, if we're in solid, I might put a different component or do something test normally. And so I'll probably continue to do that, you know, so that's not really going to change our approach. I think we can win from anywhere the way the format is. Yeah, and the top fuel guys have a different scenario because obviously their shootout's coming at the third race of the year. So I think there's there may be a little bit more incentive at this point for those guys to, to do something a little outside the box if they feel like they need to get, uh, you know, make points to get in that top eight. Um, U.S. Yeah. Nationals, you know, U.S. Nationals is going to go back to its, you know, traditional format ending on Monday. Um, I know you're a guy who's, you know, kind of traditionalist in a lot of things. That makes me really happy. I'm not sure if you like your Monday at home in Indiana, but I certainly like being there at Indy on Monday. Yeah, no, it's um, it felt weird the last couple of years. You know, um, Labor Day weekend, we're not racing. It's kind of bizarre when you've done it most of your life. So uh, we're excited to get back to normal in Indy. So. Yeah, it's going to be uh, that's going to be a very huge weekend for uh, for everybody. And like you talked about, I think that when we talk about you know attendance and people being excited to get somewhere and do something, I think that idea of U.S. Nationals going back to its kind of normal length and size is going to be um, certainly going to be something people will want to celebrate over the course of that Labor Day weekend. And yes. you know, one last question for you before before I let you go. When we look at the 2022 season, um, you come in as a, and your whole team comes in as defending world champions, and it's the cliche question, but is that is that a more pressure filled situation? Is it a is it a grace period? You know, we got one now, we get us a little pressure off our back. I mean, how important is it? And also, add in the wrinkle of now it's Ron Caps Motorsports, and I'm sure there's some kind of want to prove something on that level as well. Yeah, it's it's gonna be probably more pressure I, like myself i try not to look at any run different it doesn't matter whether it's first round at indy the final round at indy or a shootout or pomona for all the marbles it's i try and stay emotional check and not let it bother you and I, that's still the approach i'm going to try and take but it should be hard not to feel like we have to carry the torch so hopefully we can balance it 
Yeah, and that's and that's the great thing about you know you and John Medlin. You work so well together, and and I lied because I have one more question for you, which is why does that balance itself out so well? I mean, I think it's I think it's so unique when we look at like two guys like you two that work just hand in hand with each other with championship level success. Why is that a good combo? I think because we're more family than coworkers. You know, we've known each other for so long, and. Um, obviously Eric was his son. Eric was my best friend. So we have a, a real tight, you know, bond there. So we can talk just flat out, no hurt feelings. Like if I suggest something, he doesn't like it. He explained why and it doesn't hurt my feelings and vice versa. So there's not any jockeying for position or anything like that. We're just free with each other. And I think that's why it works so well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, when you're comfortable in your role like that and, and you understand that everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction, that's a that's a pretty powerful thing. Yep, yep. Well, Guido, congratulations yep. to you and the entire team on that 2021 championship. I know that uh, you guys are chomping at the bit. I know you also got a blizzard coming in there to, to Brownsburg, so good luck with that. And <laughs> good, luck, uh, yeah. see, good luck when we see you pulling the gates in Pomona in a couple weeks. All right, we'll see you then. I appreciate uh, having me on the show. You bet. Thank you very much, Guido. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Pretty neat chat there with Guido. Dean Antonelli, the crew chief, of course, for Ron Caps and the Napa Funny Car team, which is now under the banner of Ron Caps Motorsports, as you heard him say a couple times over the course of that interview. You know, when modern drag racing, that, that co-crew chief thing, that co-crew chief relationship is so important because so many teams operate now with that model. It was something that was championed very early on by guys like John Forrest, and of course it became standard operating procedure at places like Don Schumacher Racing. And we've seen it work and we've seen it fail, but when we look at John Medlin and we look at Guido, we look at their relationship and the success they've had, including that world championship with Ron Caps and the other championship level runs they've had over the course of years, it really is kind of a fascinating thing. A great chat with two funny car people, a driver, and a crew chief on this show in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue to inch closer to those NHRA Lucas Oil Winter Nationals presented by Protect the Harvest. It is breaking news here at the end of this show because when you listen to this, you will be hearing um, within the next, say, I don't know, 12 hours or so, maybe you will have already heard it, but Alan Johnson has officially been announced at uh, with his residence, if you will, at Coletta Motorsports. Brian Houston will be crew chiefing on the car of Doug Coletta, and it will be Jason McCullough crew chiefing on the car of Sean Langdon. Both of those crew chiefs will be working with Alan Johnson directly on the tune-ups of that machine and of those machines. We talked about at the beginning of this show what the top fuel category was going to look like, and certainly in 2021, Coletta Motorsports did not perform anywhere near their expectations. It was a frustrating year for two of the best drivers in the category, and boy, oh boy, that certainly seems like it's about to change with the addition of Alan Johnson, Brian Houston, and Jason McCulloch to the Coletta Motorsports Brain Trust. There'll be more on that in the next episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, and certainly more on that as the news breaks across NHRA social media channels. I guarantee you'll be hearing a lot more from not only Coletta Motorsports, but also various news and media sources within the sport. So pay attention, keep your eyes open, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider. Make sure you go to NHRA.com to get your tickets for the Winter Nationals in Pomona, and heck, grab a set of tickets for the Arizona Nationals the week after down in Phoenix. We'll see you soon.